Welcome to the Leaders in Payments podcast, where we talk to C-level leaders from across the payments landscape. We'll be discussing the products and services that impact the payment space today, as well as trends and predictions for the future of payments. We will also hear stories from our guests about their journeys to the top. When you're an entrepreneur in the early stages, you need to quickly and cheaply test your riskiest assumptions. And our risky assumptions were, you know, is this legal? And so getting the license helped to cross that one off. Will people use it? Once we deployed it and marketed it, we were getting, you know, steady growth and traffic of people using it. Actually, back then, people were mining Bitcoin on their laptops. And actually, one of our big customer segments was miners that would go there and would liquidate their, their Bitcoin for cash pickup. You know, obviously, now you can't do that very successfully. It's industrial scale. So it's just amazing how fast things have evolved. That was Neil Bergquist, the co-founder and CEO of CoinMe, and he is our special guest this week. This is episode 107 of the Leaders in Payments podcast, and I'm your host, Greg Myers. Neil is from Edmonds, Washington, and got involved with a tech incubator after college, and it was there he was introduced to Bitcoin. CoinMe is the largest licensed cash-to-crypto exchange in the U.S. It was started in 2004 with a Bitcoin ATM. Today, they operate 17,000 locations across the U.S. in partnership with Coinstar and recently launched a partnership with MoneyGram. We talked about the early days of CoinMe and their mission of changing the message in the market to help people better understand digital currencies and remove some of the negative perceptions that were in the market. Neil provided his vision of the future of crypto and what drives him to get up and work hard every day. We've got a great episode today, so let's get started. Hi, Neil. Thank you for being here and welcome to the Leaders in Payments podcast. Thank you for having me, Greg. Well, let's dive right in. So tell our audience a little bit about yourself, maybe where you grew up, where you went to school, where you currently live, a few things like that. Wow. Okay. I'm from Edmonds, Washington, just north of Seattle. Went to school down at Willamette University in Salem, Oregon. And then in 2010, came back to Seattle after getting my MBA down there. And at that time, Seattle was really starting to take off. Amazon was really hitting on all cylinders. Microsoft had already had a lot of success and really got involved in the local tech entrepreneurship scene with a tech incubator. And that's when I first learned about Bitcoin. Okay. Well, that's a good segue into the discussion. So let's talk about CoinMe. Tell the audience a little bit about what CoinMe does. CoinMe is the largest licensed cash to crypto exchange in the United States. We started in early 2014 by launching a Bitcoin ATM in Seattle, Washington. Uh, We had actually worked with the Washington State Department of Financial Institutions to help clarify the regulatory environment and collaborate on how it should be regulated. We ended up securing a license, actually it was a second licensed exchange in the U.S. Coinbase had secured a license uh, a month or so prior. And we launched a kiosk to be able to bring crypto access to Main Street and enable people to instantly buy and sell digital currencies and then send and receive other Coinme wallet. We now operate about 17,000 locations across the U.S. in partnership with Coinstar. And we recently launched a partnership with MoneyGram where you can buy and sell through their cash agent network. Okay. And so basically, the maybe walk through the use case of what a consumer does. Well, it depends on what you're using digital currency for. Digital currency can be used as a store of value or a medium of exchange. If someone is wanting to buy and hold, they'll often go to a Coinstar kiosk or they'll go to download the CoinMe mobile app, create an account, 
And then at the kiosk, they can insert up to $2,500 cash and be get a voucher and then return to the app and type in the redemption code on that voucher and your Bitcoin is safely and securely stored then in your CoinMe wallet, which you can continue to store it there or you can send it uh, if you'd like. There's a fairly large portion of our customers that use digital currencies for payments or you know whether that's using it for buying goods and services or sending to friends and family. Those individuals are essentially turning cash into digital cash and then they can send that to any wallet address pretty much in the world. Okay. Does the recipient have to have the CoinMe app to accept the cash? That's one of the great things about blockchain technology and digital currencies is that digital currencies have interoperability between various wallets. So a Bitcoin wallet has a wallet address. That wallet could be part of a cold wallet storage or a hot wallet, could be an exchange, could be a wallet associated with a USB drive. But given the interoperability, you're able to send and receive between different wallet addresses, regardless of where it's hosted. So to answer your question, no, it does not need to be a CoinMe wallet in order to receive Bitcoin from a CoinMe wallet. Okay. And how big is the company? We're up to about 70 full-time employees. We are in our seventh year now. We've grown about 2,000% revenue growth from 2017 to end of their fiscal year 2020. So it's been a journey, but we're very fortunate to have uh, some of the best and brightest in the industry helping us continue to blaze forward and expand internationally and also diversify the product offering. Okay. Is your business model basically taking a transaction fee of each transaction? That's right. Okay. And then how do you go to market? Do you have an internal sales team? Or, I mean, obviously you've developed these partnerships that you mentioned, but beyond that, is there an internal sales team or how do you go to market? Yeah, we have a marketing team led by Julie Ingle. She is able to start all the way from the brand and the brand messaging, the value prop and the personas, and then put together different campaigns and channel strategies in order to communicate that message. Really, one of our, our key pieces core to our mission is really around educating customers in the market as to what digital currencies are and how they can improve their financial lives. And so a big thing, a big ass part of Julie's job is, and her team as well, is to really help change the message in the market to help people overcome some of the misinterpretations around digital currencies and really help them understand it, how it can be a beneficial store of value or a more efficient medium of exchange. And then with Coinstar and MoneyGram, we partner with them on different customer awareness opportunities to be able to help people securely and safely buy and exchange digital currencies. Okay. And you mentioned maybe some misinformation out there, or what do you feel like is the belief when a consumer hears Bitcoin or cryptocurrency? Do you think there's fear or what is the message you're trying to make sure they understand? There's a lot of confusion. I think it would be kind of funny to maybe even rewind back to, you know, 2013 and <laughs> what was the confusion then? What was the confusion in 15, 16, 17, 18? It seems to evolve. You know, now it's about energy consumption, <laughs> among other things, or China banning it, even though China's banned it two other times <laughs> in order to try to take some wind out of the market. You know, so there's, it depends on, you know, what's exciting to write an article about and get on the news for. So that often creates a lot of misinformation and, you know, a lot of more questions and answers. But even simple things that helping people understand that you don't need to buy a full Bitcoin. Back when Bitcoin was a few hundred dollars or a few thousand dollars, people more easily believed that you had to buy a, a full unit 
of a Bitcoin. But obviously, it's divisible up to eight decimal places. You could buy a fraction of a penny of Bitcoin at our kiosks in their app, you're able to buy $1 of Bitcoin if you like. So it's that really makes it accessible because there is no price ceiling that you have to hit in order to be able to be a digital currency owner. So that's been a common one, security, helping people understand that in a CoinMe wallet, your funds are actually insured with Mt. Gox being hacked and some of the several of the big exchanges being hacked previously hasn't happened much frequently other than some kind of infamous scams in places outside of the United States. There's been just helping build that trust and that security across the market is really important. But the market is maturing and companies like CoinMe are doing a good job of helping people understand the truth and be able to overcome some of those misperceptions. Okay. And what is the regulatory environment like? I mean, are there state-by-state laws you have to follow or how does that kind of look? Yes, states' rights. They do have the ability to regulate digital currency how they see fit. It's become a little bit more clear than previously, but still it is a, it is quite an effort. Some states have publicly said how they regulate it. Some have not. And for those that have not, you need to personally get determination letters to figure out how they may regulate your particular business model and funds flow and see if you need to get a license or not in order to operate. Federally, you're registered as a MSB under FinCEN and need to abide by the Bank Secrecy Act, the U.S. Patriot Act, and a few other laws in order to have a robust AML program because obviously the regulators don't want people to be able to launder money for the nefarious purposes through any of the companies that are offering digital currency services. Okay. What would you say differentiates your company from the competitors out there? We've really invested heavily in compliance and regulation from the very beginning. A lot of companies launched their products and services and then tried to figure out regulation as they went along. We secured a license before we ever conducted our first transaction and we're regulated from day zero. We also really try to analyze where the regulators are going to go in terms of future regulation to then be able to implement some of those items earlier. Like blockchain monitoring and analytics are very important, being able to ensure that the money that comes in or out of a coin wallet is clean. And then also being able to understand and know your customer and be able to help and fight, prevent fraud and protect your customers the best you can. There's, I would say that that has been where we've invested a significant amount of money and resources. And that's been one of the primary reasons why MoneyGram and Coinstar and the other partners that we're talking with really feel safe entering into digital currency is they know that we have been able to meet a high bar and that gives them much relief and confidence to want to partner and offer digital currency to their customers. Okay. And one question back on the company, are you just in the U.S. or other international markets? We're currently just in the United States. Okay. Well, where do you see this headed, say, in the next three to five or maybe two to three years? There's just so much going on around the whole crypto space. And, you know, a lot of what we focus on from a payments perspective is the acceptance of cryptocurrency as a method of payment. Obviously, I think more people understand the stored value side than they do being able to accept it as a method of payment. But what else do you think are the trends around crypto and what you guys are doing in the next, say, two to three years? Well, there's a lot going on in crypto. So 
you know, I don't think anyone necessarily predicted NFTs being the flavor of the year at this point in time, even though it was technically possible much earlier. But in terms of payments in crypto, I think we're going to see people using crypto on the front end, but maybe having no idea that crypto is being leveraged on the back end for efficiency. So all that to say, there's going to be more familiar product experiences to what people are used to. But the companies will leverage blockchain and, and digital assets to be able to create customer experiences that delight, whether that's lower processing speeds, 24-7 settlement, being able to earn interest in a period of time while those funds are stored on a card, being able to send, receive, cross-border, instant-free. These are opportunities cryptocurrency is, is created and companies are, are working very quickly to make those a reality. I think on a more macro scale, what we're seeing is that people have, are really living multi-currency lives, at least in the United States. Growing up, you just always assume the dollar is the only currency that you'd ever need to have. And if you want to invest, you invest in stocks and mutual funds and bonds and real estate and you know, maybe gold if you want to go to alternative investments. And you kind of had a, a kind of a playbook with digital currency. It's, you know, you now have these other currencies, although you can't necessarily say that they're money or a currency because no government has said that they are and government has the power to determine that. Although El Salvador says that Bitcoin is now considered legal tender, people are seeing them as store values and also are leveraging them for meetings of exchange. And Maybe we don't want to hold dollars. Maybe that's not the best decision. Uh, and then with COVID, you're seeing economic policies where 35% of all the U.S. dollars in circulation were printed in the last 12 months. And that increases the supply of dollars, decreasing their purchasing power. And those who live in dollars, like the underbanked, are now their money's worth less. And people in the United States have realized this and have put a lot of demand on digital currencies and are seeing Bitcoin as a hedge against inflation. That's one of the big reasons why we've seen Bitcoin's price run up as a fixed supply, increasing demand, then the price of Bitcoin has really soared, along with thousands of other cryptocurrencies as people are starting to shift to living that multi-currency life. Yeah, I think that's a good point. If you were to get your crystal ball out and look into the future, where do you think it goes in 10 years? 10 years. feels like forever. <laughs> I mean, I think that... Pretty much every financial institution will have a crypto strategy to some extent. You know, banks can't ignore it. Money transmitters can't ignore it. Payment processors are already leveraging it and involved in it. So I think we'll see a lot of the adoption grow where those companies have their customers. But, you know, emerging markets is really where I think the big social changing opportunities exist. You know, if people have a store of value that they can rely on, then they don't have to be victims of inflation and have you know their hard hard earned savings vanish for a period of months because of some dictator's monetary policy and that's what's really exciting is the opportunity to really level the playing field across the world regardless of where you live regardless of where you were born but to be able to have access to a safe store of value that's you know mobile first on your phone you control it no one else is manipulating it for their benefit and not yours and you know that's I'm really excited to see the social economic impact of digital currency access going global. And unfortunately, we'll see that across the world, except in essentially communist countries is what it is. But there's a lot of opportunity in the emerging markets to really change lives through digital currency and empower people to be able to have that peace of mind that will follow. 
Okay. Well, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about you. So tell us about your journey to your role there as the co-founder and CEO. So you mentioned you got involved in the tech space. So maybe walk us through your career progression. And then I would love to hear the founder story, how you came up with the idea. Wow. Okay. Well, when I was the managing director for the tech incubator, we had partnerships with Microsoft, PayPal. We had about 200 startups in the program, about 1,200 engineers and entrepreneurs. That uh, was the largest incubator in the Northwest. And it was just a great opportunity to be constantly learning and understanding where technology is going, where markets are going, and really see what's next. And that's where I met my co-founder, Michael Smyers, who had co-founded another tech company in Seattle that was doing well. And he was really into Bitcoin and purchased some Bitcoin ATMs, you know, almost impulsively just out of excitement and started talking with him more about it and realized there's a lot more to this than just buying an ATM. You know, this is money. You can't just create a new uh, business that is supposedly operating with a new form of money. So then that's when we started engaging with the regulators and really understanding the market better and security and the technology and before I knew it, I was really inspired with what this can do for not only the local economy from the incubator's perspective, but also for people. And this is really one of those technological breakthroughs and ahas that is really once in a generation. And so that's when him and I started working more closely together. And you know, we co-founded a, a company around this and were then eventually able to get the license and launch the machine. And really, it was uh, when you're an entrepreneur in the early stages, you need to quickly and cheaply test your riskiest assumptions. And our risky assumptions were, you know, is this legal? <laughs> and so getting the license helped to cross that one off. Will people use it? Once we deployed it and marketed it, we were getting, you know, steady growth and traffic of people using it. Actually, back then, people were mining Bitcoin on their laptops. And actually, one of our big customer segments was miners that would go there and would liquidate their Bitcoin for cash pickup. You know, obviously, now you can't do that very successfully. It's industrial scale. So it's just amazing how fast things have evolved. But being able to operate the machine, get a bank account was another risky assumption. That was extremely difficult. We contacted over 200 banks. You know, I used to make a goal of calling like 20 a day. We set up offices in like Montana thinking that we would have better access to a credit union over there. I mean, you just do whatever you can. Even though we're licensed, <laughs> we couldn't get right. a bank account. So you've got to cross off that assumption as well. Eventually we got one. And so, and then as the assumptions really test themselves out and prove themselves, we realized there's a bigger opportunity here and eventually raised a million dollar seed round and have been going full speed ever since. So was the original vision to build these ATMs and deploy them yourself? We initially purchased kiosks that had software on them to enable the buying and selling of Bitcoin for cash. That company ended up going under. And so then we built software on those kiosks to operate our own wallet and our own operating system. And that was particularly challenging, but it worked. And then with 2017, the price went up to almost $20,000. And that's when a lot of larger companies started taking Bitcoin seriously. And Coinstar was company we all knew about growing up in the Seattle area. They're located just on the other side of the lake in Bellevue and was able to get an introduction, get a meeting and say, hey, you know, we could go deploy thousands of Bitcoin ATMs or we could crypto enable your existing footprint. And the timing was right. 
they used our data and our validation and licenses really as a proof of concept that it works and there's a business opportunity here. And that's when we transitioned our business into being a crypto enabler as opposed to the crypto provider and operating the hardware ourselves. And so we launched the Coinstar partnership in January 2019. And it's fortunately been the fastest growing product in Coinstar's history and has really been a, a great success story. Okay. And then you mentioned MoneyGram. Do you want to talk about that partnership as well? Yeah. So MoneyGram is one of the world's largest money transmitters. They have over 350,000 agents globally. And an agent is someone where you can go to to give them cash or someone you can go to to pick up cash. They may be sending or receiving from anywhere in the world. So that infrastructure that they've built over 80 years is huge. And with Coinstar, they have 20,000 kiosks, mostly in the United States, some in Europe as well. And, you know, we're on a path to crypto enable those locations. With MoneyGram, it's an opportunity to get more global coverage quicker. So we started in the United States. We have over 10,000 locations crypto enabled now, where if you go to the Coinme mobile app, you can create an account and then use cash to buy Bitcoin or sell your Bitcoin for cash pickup at a MoneyGram agent, which is most likely near you. But because of MoneyGram scale, it's really the most affordable way to buy and sell crypto with cash in the United States, which is great to be able to leverage those existing payment rails to be able to offer digital currency services at scale and make it ubiquitous and and really have full coverage, full access, regardless of where you live. And that's you know true to our mission of really being a gateway to digital currency and a better financial future. Being able to provide ubiquitous access is really living to that promise of Bitcoin. The headline of the white paper, a peer-to-peer electronic cash system. And MoneyGram gives us that infrastructure and, and the opportunity for global scale. Okay. Well, back to a little bit about you. So maybe talk about one thing that you're passionate about on the personal side and one thing you're passionate about on the business or professional side. See, on the personal side, I mean, I guess it's kind of more immediate, you know, being an entrepreneur is can be extremely exhausting and it'll take everything that you give it. And so one of the ways that my wife and I, and who's also my business partner, one way we just recharge is just go out hiking. Uh, we live near the Olympic National Park, and it's a great way to get outside and, and just be in nature and, and hike and camp or go down to the beach and paddleboard and tide pool and just being outside. It's just kind of a great way to kind of reset and recharge in a lot of ways. So you know, definitely passionate about that, you know, in addition to several different causes. But that's where we're, we find ourselves spending our time here, particularly in the summertime. On the business side, I think that obviously a digital currency and the opportunity that digital currency has to truly improve people's lives. You know, that's, we really see ourselves having a dual focus. You know, obviously there's investors and investors want a financial return, but at the same time, there's the opportunity for an immense social impact. And that's what really makes this truly exciting and an opportunity to, to do something bigger than yourself and have a lasting impact for the world and really change lives. And that's what really makes the sacrifices worth it. And the late nights, early mornings, the risks, you know, all the challenges that come with scaling a business, particularly one that's not clearly defined from a regulatory perspective or even from a technological perspective. That opportunity for a global social impact is what's really exciting. Okay. And the next question is is about, and I always like to ask this because I think every CEO and founder brings a unique perspective. And I think, you know, you having worked at an incubator and then obviously been involved in this space that you're in, I imagine you'll have a a unique perspective. But when I got into payments, whatever, 16 years ago, there wasn't really the word fintech didn't exist. And you kind of fell into payments and then never got out of it. But, you know, a lot of people these days are 
starting their careers in fintech. They're actually taking fintech courses in college. And, you know, it's such a hot space with so much money being invested into it. So from your perspective, what advice would you give someone just starting out in payments or fintech? What would you tell them that they should do to be successful? That's a good question. You know, try to understand the industry, understand what are the biggest problems that need to be solved and what are the companies out there that are solving those problems and which ones have received the most money that are rapidly solving those problems and then go try to work for one of those companies. <laughs> like it's rapidly changing. And, you know, if you want to see who's changing it the fastest, you know, an easy way to do that is to follow the money. And that's oftentimes where a lot of the innovation happens is in newer companies because they have the freedom to do so. And it's in not many cases, literally their mission. I used to be in management consulting and help companies innovate and change and grow. And in larger companies, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to be able to change what you've been doing for decades, which is why you see a lot of larger companies partnering with fintech companies or buying them or trying to create some form of incubators, accelerators, or some kind of mechanism to allow them to innovate without getting in their own way. But if you're early in your career, having that startup experience can be really enlightening and you know, be committed to don't just jump around to see whatever's hot that quarter. Things take time and find something that you're excited about and passionate about because that's what will get you through the challenges that will get you through some of the mundane nature that comes with all types of work and be able to find that passion and hone in on it and learn from there. Yeah, I think that's some great advice. Find something you're passionate about. And, you know, I also love the perspective of finding a, a young, innovative startup to work at, I think is great advice as well. I mean, I I think that those environments allow people to just absorb and learn so much and have the opportunity to do so much. So I, I think that's some great advice. I really appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, for Coimi, my second piece of advice is go to coimi.com forward slash careers <laughs> and, <laughs> and see if there's an opportunity there that might be a fit. I mean, you can go work on a very small function within a very large company, or you can go to a company like Coimi and really own something that's going to have true impact and you'll see it in the product. You know, that's often what we hear a lot of people that leave big companies to come to Coimi is, you know, their fingerprints actually show up can really have an impact, which is an exciting story for you to have for your career. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Neil, we've covered a lot about the company and the industry and then you personally. So is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? Buy Bitcoin if you haven't already or Ethereum. If you really want to understand it, just buy a dollar of it. And there's like an old saying, if you want to know the price of gold, just buy gold. And, you know, you can analyze it all day long. You'll always have questions and doubts, but just buy a portion of it and just sit on it and forget about it. But what it does, though, is triggers you to understand it more and learn more about it because this is something that you can't afford not to learn about. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. Well, Neil, thank you so much for being on the show. I know your time's very valuable, so I really appreciate you being here today. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. And to all you listeners out there, I thank you for your time as well. And until the next story. Thank you for joining us this week on the Leaders in Payments podcast. Make sure you visit our website at leadersinpayments.com, where you can subscribe to the show and where you'll find our show notes. If you enjoyed listening, please share on your social channels as well.